0: Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. June is Migraine and Headache Awareness Month, and we are doing a part two of a show we started last week with Dr. Monique Canonico. She is subspecialty board certified in headache and medicine and in dealing with headaches and migraines, and she is gracious enough to do a part two of our show. Last week, we talked a little bit about the difference between tension headaches and migraine headaches. What are some of the initial rescue treatments for it? What are some of the new treatments that are available prescription-wise? And how do they help for people with certain medical conditions who might have taken some older treatments known as triptans? And today we're going to talk a little bit about what are some of the ways that people can treat their headaches with some over-the-counter medicines, possibly even going into prescription medicines for other conditions that can help with migraine headache prevention. And then we'll talk about some of the newer devices that are out there, which might change migraine treatment again, as we seem to do more research and find more about it. Thank you again for joining me, Dr. Monique Canonigo. I appreciate having you on. You're welcome, Dr. Kosak. Thanks for having me. Now, there are some things that people use for migraine prevention that you might find in the in the vitamin section of a store. What sorts of
1: things would those be? Well, I always like to start with some of what I call nutraceuticals because, first of all, a lot of the younger patients don't even want to think about taking a prescription medicine. And for most patients, they would really like to start with something, quote, natural. So we do have data for three or four over-the-counter herbal um, forms of of treatment. And one of the main ones is magnesium. And that's particularly good for someone who has Aura, uh, which is the warning before they get the migraine, or even menstrual migraine when the migraines come out more when they have their menses. And so we often will start with magnesium, 400 milligrams a day, Magnesium sometimes is not well absorbed, and so I always like to recommend the gluconate or the glycinate form. Citrate is okay, but oxide is not so good because it's not absorbed, and sometimes they get diarrhea from that. So magnesium is often a great uh, starting point. The next one I do, and I usually do them concurrently, is riboflavin. Why would we use riboflavin, which is basically just vitamin D2, it is actually something that we've known for years is that when a patient gets a migraine the little cellular center centers of breathing their mitochondria the respiratory centers of the cell actually have a decreased function and that can trigger the headache it's, it's a part of the migraine process so someone postulated let's try high dose riboflavin or B2 it doesn't have any side effects we will use the dose of 400 milligrams, and it it stabilizes this disrupted mitochondrial function, and that is a great place to start. And the other reason I love it is there is new data out that shows that it is safe in the pediatric population as well. And so sometimes these kids can you know also be given that. We have nice data to suggest um, that it's really helpful.
0: Well, safety efficacy uh, i 'm sold these sounds like these sound like great opportunities for people to consider natural ways to prevent migraines from happening. Now, what about uh things that people might consider prescription medicine that could potentially be conflicting with this? I mean, I sometimes wonder if somebody were on high dose statins, for example, uh, would that be something that they'd have to consider? being careful with some of these other medications? Or have we got enough data that, you know, magnesium isn't going to hurt anybody? Vitamin B, probably not going to be a a problem. We won't see any interactions?
1: Yeah, I I think it's a great point. Um, Riboflavin, I typically don't uh, worry too much about it. It's basically water-soluble vitamin, doesn't interfere with a lot of things. But magnesium is not really good for people with kidney disease. And so I don't typically recommend that in them. And I will just sort of you know, not do the magnesium and maybe do the riboflavin. Um, And then the other thing, if they have concurrent medical problems or a bunch of other medicines um, that I have found really helpful is the coenzyme Q10. And we have data that shows that regular doses of this, it's basically just an antioxidant. Um, It actually decreases the frequency and the intensity of the migraine. And so that is another thing that can be added on, which typically doesn't interfere with a lot of their prescription medicines. Um, The coenzyme Q10 is over-the-counter, safe, pretty tolerable. I haven't had anybody get side effects from it. And they usually will go for a dose of 300 milligrams a day, which was done in the study. And the important feature about coenzyme Q10, though, is there are two forms. And one of them is not well-absorbed at all and they don't get the benefit from it. So when if, if they're going to go to Costco or Long's or wherever they go to get their supplements, the coenzyme Q10 ubiquinol form, I just tell them to remember OL, ubiquinol, is the best absorbed. And if you're going to spend the money and try this for three months, which is what we usually recommend for a supplement, and you're going to try the coenzyme Q10, 300 milligrams a day, look for the ubiquinol form. And those would be my main sort of herbal mainstays.
0: Well, and the great news about that is if you are on statins, we often tell people to take coenzyme Q10 anyway. So it's a nice combination that if they needed to take right. it, we know it would be yeah. safe with people of to that, particular, that part effect. Yep. particular effect, yeah. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We are doing part two of our demystifying headaches and migraines with Dr. Monique Canonico from Kaiser Permanente. When we come back, we're going to talk about other prevention medications that you might just need to take and when the... Those medicines might be working for one condition. We might find that they also work with migraine prevention as well. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I am joined by Dr. Monique Canonico. She is a subspecialty board-certified headache medicine expert from Kaiser Permanente, and we're talking today about ways to prevent migraines. So right before the break, we talked about some all-natural things that people could consider, both magnesium, riboflavin, coenzyme Q10, if they're having regular chronic migraines and this is something bothering them quite a few times a a month, then this is one way that we could really help them with some of these types of natural treatments. Now, in some cases, Dr. Monique, we have people who, even despite that, they're still getting a fair number of headaches or migraine headaches that are bothering them throughout the month. And there are some other unique prescription medicines that are out there that can help them sometimes... They're for conditions that might not be associated with treating a migraine, but the medicine works anyway, things like blood pressure and seizure conditions. Now, these are different options for headache prevention. So you would take these pretty much for migraine prevention in particular
1: every single day. Is that right? Right. And I will tell the patient this is not forever and ever. We may do this for six months. To stabilize your headache and then we could take the medication off so it's not a chronic medicine but they do need to give it some time to kick in and I like to remind them the headaches have probably been there for years you know they're not going to go overnight away but give me a little time you know a couple of months and we can really dial down the frequency and that would be as you state looking more at these preventive medications often from other classes we've sort of repurpose them for migraine prevention and and they often get a great response. Beta blockers, things that are used for blood pressure, that would be one category to ask about. Uh, Some of our anti-seizure medications, one in particular, topiramate, is FDA approved for headache prevention and I have patients who get a great response to that. Sometimes they get side effects and it's, it's not the best for them but many respond really well. And then we have Older antidepressants that can be given at bedtime to also help with sleep and decrease the headaches, and those are really nice sort of intermediate steps. If they you know, didn't do well, like you said, on the magnesium or the riboflavin or the initial, quote, vitamin supplements, then we escalate to prescription preventives. Well, and the one key
0: about that is, that these are medicines that we know are very safe because they're used for other conditions like beta blockers for blood pressure. These are very commonly used. I like the idea that you mentioned, you know, this isn't forever. Because one of the hesitations I know that I see in patients who have to take medicines for a condition that I don't think will go away in six months is the idea that they might get stuck on a medicine and not be able to get off of it. But there's a continual reassessment, whether it be of your migraine frequency, or in my world, maybe your blood pressure improves. So there are some ways that you could adjust that and then not have to take it as much. If we get the migraines under good control in this situation, then it's not like they're committing forever. It's committing for now with the goal of having migraine-free days, as many as possible. And that sounds like it's a... It's a great goal. Now, in your experience, you mentioned topamax or topiramate, one of the seizure medicines or some of the other blood pressure medicines, the antidepressants, those would be very low dose, we're not secretly treating someone for depression without telling them. We're giving them a low dose because for some reason that tends to work really well for migraine prevention. People might try that for a few months and if that works well, they could stay on that and would they they might eventually taper off of those medicines if they don't have as many migraines?
1: Right. I don't tend to do too much um, dual therapy, so I'll sort of sequentially try some of these other medicines, a beta blocker, an anti-seizure medicine, or a little antidepressant. And if they don't respond very well to two of them, or as is often the case, they get intolerable side effects, they feel drowsy, they just can't function, then that would be a time that we may escalate to one of these newer CGRP blockers that, again, more, you know, targeted therapy. Uh, yes, it's considered a bigger gun. And so that's why we don't start with it initially, a monthly injectable, but sometimes we need to. And this can be a game changer for these patients with chronic migraine. So this is what's come out maybe in the last four years or so.
0: And how is it different either in how it's administered or, or side effects or how is this a newer type of profile medicine and and how do people get it?
1: So since the late 1980s, researchers had gradually gathered some data and sorted out that, wow, CGRP, or calcitonin gene-related peptide, it plays a role in the migraine, and we know it does, but how do we block it? And so finally, um, after after years of researching it, they figured out a way to block it, and we know that by blocking either the receptor or the ligand, it essentially can decrease the frequency of the migraine. So the way they work is these CGRP blockers, we have three of them right now that are FDA approved, and all of them are injectable and typically given once a month. And we know that basically this is a protein, this CGRP protein is just something that transmits pain signals along the trigeminal nerve in the brainstem and up into the brain. And we also know that these CGRP receptors are involved in a number of bodily processes from gastrointestinal areas to pain transmission and just figuring out a way to block that can stop the migraine from ever starting, which is even more exciting than than an ex- excellent rescue. It just really bo- blocks it and the way they work is it's called a monoclonal antibody which is just this specialized immune cell produced in the lab highly specific protein molecules and they target the receptor and block the migraine on a daily basis and these basically are they're too large to cross into the brain to any significant degree and they don't get processed through the kidney or the liver which is fantastic for some of our patients who may have renal issues or hepatic issues. These monoclonal antibodies are actually allowed to be used in those. And so that is sort of the patient population we can use it. It's it's quite quite broad and they have less chance of side effects. So you really don't, you know, have that tolerability issue and they don't interact with a lot of other medicines these cgrp we have again three on the market uh, i guess just depending on insurance coverage if the patient was at this point they would perhaps see if they are a candidate
0: is it similar to the triptans where if you don't respond to one you might respond to another one
1: great question we actually have new data to suggest that it's not class specific so that just means if you did not respond to one of the first CGRP ones, maybe say you tried a Um, then the next step actually would be to try a same one in the same category, uh, like Galconazumab or femenezumab, because just because you failed one, it's okay to try another one. You say those with
0: such ease. When I see the names written down, I just, I <laughs> mumble and I go, I don't know <laughs> if I can... If I can say what that is. So that's that's a really good point that you could try one. And if that one doesn't work, consider a different one to see if yep. maybe that one might work. Now, this is all really dependent on uh, how well someone responds. And you can discover that when they keep their headache diary. So last week, we talked a little bit about the app that people can use. You mentioned oh, Migraine important. Buddy. I- I'd like to say migraine, not my friend, but hey, Migraine Buddy works. So, you know, maybe migraine enemy. But uh, it sounds like that's another reason why people really need to work on keeping track. And these days, you know, most people have smartphones or some type of device or computer that they can use. It's sort of another reminder of how important it is to keep close track of your headaches so that you can really determine if you wind up seeing fewer episodes. I mean, it may not resolve your symptoms entirely, but if it reduced the frequency by,
1: you know, 70 or 80 percent, that's pretty remarkable. Game changer, right? And the other point about the CGRP blockers, the injectable ones we were just talking about, is um, we do have to be a little patient because they don't work right away in some people. The findings from all the studies that we looked at is essentially they may work in one week and those might be the super responders, but it can take up to two months for it really to dial down that that protein that's that's basically being elaborated during the migraine cascade so that they need to stick with it at least two to three months because in some patients it does work later and And again, like you said, even if you don't respond to one, um, it's not class-specific, so they could try another one in the class, and often they do wonderfully.
0: Now, if they were to take one of them and be on this two- or three-month trial, if it didn't work and they still had a migraine, could they go back to their previous rescue medicine and or some other treatment?
1: All the rescue agents that we've discussed are fine to take with the monoclonal antibody, CGRP antagonists. And so we don't typically limit anything Um, if they, let's say they responded well to the triptan, but they just were getting such a high frequency. It is fine to take the triptan with that or whatever they previously had been using. So um, again, the cornerstone as you are underlining is we have to have a great rescue And we also have to have a really effective preventive, and it's okay to reach for your rescue even though you're, you know, maybe you're taking the injection once a month. We still need something for that day when you're flat on your back with vomiting and a migraine. You might still need rescuing. All right.
0: I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm speaking with Dr. Monique Canonico. She is a headache specialist and migraine expert from Kaiser Permanente. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some other treatments that people may have heard about. Would you ever use Botox for migraines? It's maybe a possibility. We will be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. welcome back to the body show I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak and I have Dr. Monique Canonico on the line and she is subspecialty board certified in headache medicine and practices at Kaiser Permanente and right before the break we were talking about the new medication out there the CGRP blockers a monoclonal antibody that can sometimes help prevent people from having migraine headaches they may still need a rescue so there are some rescues available and they can use those concurrently if they have to we've talked about what those rescues are we've talked about and medications and other types of medicines that people can use in addition to even prevention medicine with blood pressure pills or seizure medicines or antidepressants. So we've really run the gamut of talking about how to really try and prevent migraines from using nutraceuticals and using things like uh, riboflavin, magnesium, coenzyme Q10, all the way now to monthly injectable therapies. There are a couple of other things that are out there, and I'm curious how do things like injections of Botox help? Has that ever been used for migraines or even if not for tension headaches? Is that another, another weapon in our arsenal to try and help alleviate
1: migraine headaches? It is. Since 2010, we've had FDA approval for Botox injections into the trap muscles, which are just the muscles kind of attached to the above the shoulder area and neck, and then also the forehead and the temporalis area. And this really back then revolutionized migraine treatment. It is approved for chronic migraine, which we discussed is greater than 15 days a month. And I will sometimes go to the the Botox before the CGRP if I can tell they have a lot of tension in their neck um, or they, they tell me that they're having... Um, nocturnal bruxism, which is just another term for grinding your teeth at night, or I wake up in the morning and my, my mouth hurts and I'm trying to wear a jaw guard and I broke through it. And so um, some of the muscles that we target for the migraine actually can help decrease um, the tension in those muscles. So we use a lot of it. It is another great, uh, as you say, weapon in the arsenal. And it does involve you know, probably 20 to 30 injections with a small needle in the head and you start the treatment. If it doesn't work the first time, the classic teaching, and and I agree with this, is you don't consider it a failure after once. They really should have two or three treatments um, because there can also be this treatment effect where it exponentially builds upon itself and they really get a much better response after three to six to nine months because they've had Three sessions of Botox, which again is, is typically given every 12 weeks. It has to be done by a provider in the clinic though. And so that involves the patient going in. But a good thing about Botox, it doesn't go in the bloodstream. They don't get tired. There's no somnolence from it. They may have a little bit of injection site pain. But for many, this has been a fantastic treatment. Amazing
0: things we've discovered, mainly out of necessity, because the pain of migraine headaches can really be extremely uncomfortable and definitely something we want to put some resources into. Now, I had a friend, actually a friend's brother tell me yesterday that he started using something uh, that I looked up because I needed to hear about it. And it was a device, cephaly. And this is a whole other type of way that migraines might be prevented, is to now look at other non-medication ways, and it seems like there might be some devices out there that could help. What exactly is is Cephali, and have you seen some folks use it, and, and does it work?
1: So Cephali is this small headband device that sends these electrical pulses through the forehead, and it stimulates the trigeminal nerve, which again is linked to the whole migraine cascade. And the nice thing about this is there are two different settings on it. And if you get the cephaly device, they can do it for what we call rescue treatment. So if you're getting the migraine, you can actually put this headband on and it will start to send electrical impulses and, you know, basically abate the headache. And then there's also a preventive mode for 20 minutes a day. They put a special headband on and kind of looks like a space invader or something. And This can be part of their preventive regime. I like it for patients who are pregnant, who maybe, you know, really we can't give much in pregnancy in terms of prevention. So that's a nice um, option. And then the other thing is it's great for patients who get a lot of side effects from the other preventives we tried. Uh, So it would be considered in the category of devices. They recently, fall of 2021, I believe, made it so you don't have to have a prescription for this anymore. You can essentially go to the website and get it, and then you would put it on. You do have to usually pay out of pocket, but I checked yesterday, and I believe they have a 90-day return policy, which is pretty generous. I have had some patients respond to it, and to be truthful, um, more patients respond than what I would think.
0: You know, and I find it fascinating because we've sort of looked at some of the non-pharmaceutical ways that we're trying to, to do some of the treatments. And I think as we move on into the world of maybe even at some point, wouldn't it be great if nobody ever had migraines ever again. But as we're looking towards that, I love the idea of giving patients an option that they could actually choose to get a device tried out. 90 days, you're right, is pretty generous, but they would probably know in those 3 months if this particular device was helpful for them or not. And in using it, it might help them not just to prevent but also rescue treatment for for their migraines. It's, it's to me, all of these different ways that we're looking at it are kind of becoming game changers. You know, what we used to do with migraines is say, "Oh, I hope it goes away. Go lay in a dark room, get some rest, and, you know, when that's over, you know, come back to, to join the rest of us. But now we've really got treatments, not just rescue but also prevention and now even devices. Where do you see the treatment of migraine going in the future? In the last couple of minutes we have left, uh, do you see that we're moving more in a direction of Devices or new medications, or maybe a combination of both?
1: I think the combination of both for many patients would be wonderful. The issue is that we don't have a lot of coverage yet, and it's difficult to get insurance companies.
0: well, and that's that's definitely always going to be always going to be the case I think when we start to see some data behind some of the devices and the different ways that people find the solutions to some of their concerns. You know, once we start to see these these clinical trials show up and there's enough information that suggests that there's been a really good response, then I think we might start to see greater coverage options. However, I always encourage people to look into whether or not they have a flexible spending account because that's another way to provide some of the opportunities to try these devices and use some of their flexible spending money towards medical devices that they could potentially be able to get some additional assistance for. And as you mentioned with, with patients, Dr. Monique, you've noticed, boy, once it works, they are happy to go through whatever inconvenience might happen in order to make sure that they don't have those migraines again from the initial Discussion that we started last week talking about tension headaches and massage and physical therapy to heading now towards looking at migraine prevention and all the different various types of medications that people can use and some of the new injectables and even moving towards things like Botox. Well, people usually don't think about taking medications or doing injections like Botox for migraines, but boy, for some folks, they're extremely effective. It's really... You have transformed my knowledge about migraines and headaches, Dr. Canonico, and I really appreciate your time today. Thank if you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you for, for all that you do at Kaiser Permanente and for sharing your expertise with all of us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can always click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app, and you can replay this show. And if you didn't get a chance to hear Part 1, take a look at that because this is a part of a two-part series and the information that we shared on migraines and headaches is irreplaceable, I think, and hopefully I will not get either one of those in the near future. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week right here on The Body Show every Monday. We'll see you then.